had a feeling, right? We had a feeling that week one was going to go well, right? We just knew it. Just a little feeling. It was just a little feeling. It was just a feeling like a tingling, right? You knew it. Just a feeling. Just enough tingling in those extremities. Told you this was going to be a good week. This was going to be a good week. And then it happened. Ty Montgomery, 90% opportunity share. <laughs> Excelled against a Seahawks defense. Same with Melvin Gordon, excelling against the Denver Broncos defense. Both highly fantasy relevant in week one. It's just a start. It's just a start. Then we have those Vikings receivers we were stacking. Right? Like the Vikings receivers. The no-brainer wide receiver stack of 2017, Minnesota Vikings. Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs. And throw in Kyle Rudolph while you're at it. Get the trio. This has been the recommendation all summer, right? Since we talked to Warren Sharp, he said, the team that will experience the greatest strength of schedule reversion that no one's talking about, the team that was grossly unlucky in 2016, who will most likely experience a change of fortune in 2017, the Minnesota Vikings. We told you to bet the Minnesota Vikings in Las Vegas. We told you to get as many Vikings on your fantasy team as possible. Vikings. Just Vikings, 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 Vikings. The Vikings! I was like a pirate. I understand. I get it. There was a pirate thing in there. Not great with the Scandinavian accent. But you get it, right? You get it. The barbarian horde gliding along the ocean. And when landfall hits, whew, look out. Everyone's gonna die. Vikings, man! Fucking Vikings! And then, the crowning achievement on our fantasy drafts. The final piece of the puzzle in the final round. As we talked to Eric Balkman from the Fantasy Football Players Championship, he had one of the great lines in Roto Underworld Radio history. I wait so long on quarterback that I'm a dick about it. Well, we're dicks about it, too. Everyone that listens to Roto Underworld Radio is a dick about quarterbacks. In fact, we were the biggest dicks this year. Oh, we were the biggest dicks, right? Because we weren't even drafting consensus top 20 quarterbacks. Oh, no, 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 no. We were waiting until the last round. And this goes for all my friends, my wife, everyone that was in a fantasy draft. Had their league mates confounded as they just refused to pick a quarterback until the final round. And you know who they picked. You know who you picked. The guy I picked. The guy I started in that FFPC high stakes league last week. You know his name. Say his name. Say his name. His name, of course, is... Sam Bradford! Sam I am. He's a Brad man. Sammy! Top five quarterback. Wait for it. You know what's happening. This is his year. Top five quarterback. Top five. Sam Bradford. Top five. Sam Bradford. I 
I think Sam Bradford's a top five quarterback this year because of course he is because he's good. You go to nohalftime.com where you can stake any player against another player. The head-to-head matchup fantasy platform, nohalftime.com. I will be matching up Sam Bradford against every quarterback that I have a chance to match up against. I'll be participating in all the Sam Bradford contests on nohalftime.com. Sam Bradford against Andy Dalton. Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford against Alex Smith. Sam Bradford. There will be games I will be taking Sam Bradford over Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, Cam Newton. You wait. Oh, you wait. I'm going to make so much money just betting Sam Bradford against the field. That's the beauty of no halftime. You can just pick your favorite player that you believe is the most undervalued and pick him against the field. That's what I'll be doing on no halftime. Go to nohalftime.com, punch in that promo code UNDERWORLD, and you get an instant 50% bonus on up to $50 deposited. Again, use the promo code UNDERWORLD. Because Sam Bradford is good. Coming out of Oklahoma State, Sam Bradford was the consensus number one pick in the draft. It wasn't close. There wasn't a debate like, oh, Carson Wentz or Jared Goff. There was no debate. Sam Bradford was the guy, a prodigy quarterback. And all he did was produce huge numbers at Oklahoma. 91.6 college QBR at Oklahoma. 98th percentile. 9.8 yards per attempt. And an early 19.8 breakout age. So he was the next great NFL quarterback coming out of Oklahoma. And what happened? Well, he tore his shoulder up. And they still drafted him number one because he's that good. The problem is he went to the Rams that had no weaponry and no coach. So he was stuck in a 1960s game plan without weapons. It doesn't matter what quarterback you are. You could be Tom Brady. It doesn't matter. You go to a team with no weapons and incompetent coaches. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to fail. Of course you're going to fail. And it's exacerbated by random injuries. A torn ACL, a broken collarbone. Sam Bradford was made of glass at one point, right? Sam Bradford was Kevin White at the quarterback position. Amazingly, it was Sam Bradford throwing the ball to Danny Amendola at one point. Two of the most brittle players in NFL history for a period of time. But then all of a sudden, Sam Bradford strings together multiple seasons unscathed. It's been a while since Sam Bradford showed up on the injury report, and I think it's going to be a while until he shows up on it again. I think he's past the hump. A lot of players experience numerous injuries early in their career, and then they go on to have a run of multiple seasons at full health. Look at Frank Gore. Frank Gore was hurt throughout college and early in his career, multiple knee injuries, hasn't missed a game in a decade. So Sam Bradford's body has been hardened to the NFL experience, and his instincts have improved. He now knows when to get down, when to throw the ball away, better than he did in St. Louis. So it's all set up for Sam Bradford to have a career year this year because he finally has weapons and a contemporary offense. You might say, well, he had that last year. Yeah, well, he didn't have a preseason with the Vikings last year. He arrived a couple days before week one. No preseason practices, no training camp with his team. Zero rapport. And yet, he broke the NFL record for completion percentage. Starting his career with the Vikings cold with no rapport, and it didn't matter. Still completed more passes per attempt than any quarterback in league history. Are you not impressed? We were impressed. We've been impressed with Sam Bradford all offseason. We're the only ones. Who else? 
was insisting that you ignore other quarterbacks and just draft Sam Bradford. Oh, the looks that I got in that FFPC high-stakes draft when I selected Sam Bradford before quarterbacks like Eli Manning and Carson Palmer. Oh, the looks. But now they understand. Now they understand why. We've been higher on Sam Bradford than consensus for a while now. And we are going to continue to be higher than consensus. So when the experts start putting him in their top 15, well, we'll already have him in our top 10. And when they start having him in their top 10, oh, he'll already be in our top five. Who knows? Who knows? Sam Bradford could be the best quarterback in fantasy this year. That's possible. That's in his range of outcomes. You don't believe me? Just go to Tom Brady's stats. Before Tom Brady had weapons, he wasn't throwing for more than 5,000 yards. He capped out at 4,100 yards, and his passer rating never exceeded 95.0. Look at these yardage totals early in Tom Brady's career. 2,800 yards, 3,700 yards, 3,600 yards, 3,700 yards, 4,100 yards, 3,500 yards. Never exceeded 30 touchdowns for seven straight seasons. Remind you of anyone? Remind you of anyone, anyone, anyone. And then what happened in 2007? What happened? What happened? Tom Brady got weapons. Yeah, he got a real weapon. The peacemaker of all weapons. The ultimate weapon, Randy Moss. Suddenly he's throwing for 4,800 yards and 50 touchdowns. The Randy Moss effect. His passer rating exceeding 117.0. That's how weaponry in the form of Randy Moss and later Rob Gronkowski can enhance a quarterback's performance. And ultimately, their fantasy stock rises because of it. And Tom Brady's perception has completely changed. He was viewed as a game manager and not a fantasy QB1 for years. And that course corrected very quickly when Randy Moss arrived. The perception of Tom Brady now is, oh, locked in top five fantasy quarterback. But it wasn't always like that. Tom Brady has not always had a Brandon Cooks, a Julian Edelman, a Rob Gronkowski, and a Randy Moss on his team. Just like Sam Bradford hasn't had those types of weapons in St. Louis and in Philadelphia with a lame duck coach and a rudimentary offensive system that NFL defenses had already solved. So he's being asked to run an offense that NFL defenses had figured out, oh, wow, wait, they only run two plays, one look with a run or a pass. Oversimplified college offense. And when you arrive in the final days of the life of that particular offensive scheme, how successful can you be when your best receiver is Jordan Matthews? Really? We can go back and look at, and in St. Louis, the best receiver was Brian Quick, Tavon Austin. Think about it. No quarterback has been more snake-bitten throughout his career than Sam Bradford. And I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's finally able to operate within the context of a contemporary offense and above-average weapons catching the football. And he has stability. Same coach from one year to the next. Every year, Sam Bradford experienced a different offensive coordinator with a different system, constantly learning new schemes every year. Finally, there's stability. He can start to understand the nuances of the scheme he's running and more confidently execute the plays that are called. That's the benefit of stability. We talked about this throughout the summer. All of the external forces clicking into place to propel Sam Bradford this year, and he's available in the final round. So just draft him and don't worry about the other quarterbacks. And we did it. 
We did it. This is exciting. This is why we play fantasy football. And if you didn't draft Sam Bradford, it's okay. Because now we have draft. We talked about draft's best ball contests throughout the summer. They also have DFS. But the beauty of their DFS contests is they're snake draft driven. So you can go ahead and draft Sam Bradford and no one else is allowed to have Sam Bradford. That to me is a great deal. And be sure to enter the promo code UNDERWORLD when you download the draft app on your iPhone or Android device because you will get free entry with your first deposit of $10 or more. So go to playdraft.com, get the app, and join the revolution. DFS contests with unique lineups. Now, let's talk to one of the best DFS players out there. Certainly, some of the best analysis you are going to read on 4for4.com. I'm talking about TJ Hernandez. Follow him at TJ Hernandez on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. TJ Hernandez from 4 for 4. This is one of the cool cats in the industry to talk about week one. It's just perfect. This is just so perfect. TJ Hernandez, talk to me. What's up, buddy? Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm really glad that it's week two. I, I mean, I, I pump up week one, but in all honesty, week one's brutal because we're getting in the Oof. flow um I, I don't have my muscle memory yet for the season come week one so it's we're pulling all nighters riding i'm in the flow now i get i have some in-season data to work with i could sound smart again um i can delete all my articles that uh that of the guys i touted off season that that didn't do anything week one so i don't get called out oh yes right and tweets too we're going back and we're deleting all the old <laughs> stuff. yeah all those tweets deleting all my tweets Never mind what I said in the offseason, guys. I was wrong. Right. But I'm going to be right this week. Yes. I just do keyword search for certain teams <laughs> and players and make sure I keep the all the Vikings takes up, right? So the Vikings yeah. did really well last night. Did you see that Vikings game? I did. Yeah, I was very excited. I'm, uh, I've been a Diggs guy all, not even all offseason going back to last year, but that was fun. Yeah, Diggs was exciting to watch. He looks like he has that it factor for lack of a better term he looks like antonio brown a younger antonio brown he wants to be a superstar clearly he has the smoothness there's clearly a smoothness to his game there's a swagger to his game we talk about swagger factor i know that that's not a real metric and you can't really quantify it I get it, but certain players have the swagger factor, and when you follow the players that have the swagger factor, good things tend to happen to your fantasy team. That's just a fact. We've talked about the player that had the least swagger factor ever, Kevin White. Kevin White goes on stage to receive his jersey when he's drafted, and he looks around side to side as if, wait, is this really happening? Do these people know I'm not good? Like, we saw that from Kevin White on draft day, and his body language told you he's not good. We'll talk about Kevin White in a little bit, but the opposite was true with Stephon Diggs. He was swaggering at Maryland. Didn't matter he was a fifth-round pick. Did not matter. So following that Antonio Brown trajectory is Stephon Diggs. Two touchdowns last night for a guy that people said doesn't score touchdowns. So we'll talk about that as well today. The touchdown reversions that we saw from Diggs and Amari Cooper and DeAndre Hopkins. So a lot of the things we talked about in the offseason came to fruition in week one, which is great. So is Stephon Diggs now a top 10 wide receiver? 
Is that a fact now? Can we just lock that in? Yeah, I'll go wide receiver one. I, don't, I mean, if you're going to say wide receiver one, why not top 10? Yeah, top 10, top 12. Yeah. He's yeah. right there. He's a guy you can build your wide receiver core around. He was one of my two or three must-draft players. Uh, I I have him in all my leagues. If I have to take him around early, that's fine. Uh, you mentioned Antonio Brown. I think when you bring up a name like that, people raise their eyebrows and say there's there's no way. But someone has to be the next one, right? And if you, you look at his player comps on playerprofile.com, Rotoviz, um, Antonio Brown's name pops up somewhere. And then you look at something like Matt Harmon's reception per- perception, we haven't seen anyone quite as impressive as Diggs outside of maybe Brown or Odell. And then Minnesota moves him to the outside where he was a very effective slot receiver last year. I think they have to have a lot of confidence in, in Bradford and Diggs to say, we're going to take this talent, move him outside and in a spot where, I don't know, maybe people were nervous that, that Bradford wasn't going to make it out there to him. I'm of the belief that amazing top tier wide receivers elevate the quarterback's game, not vice versa. And I think Diggs is in that top tier receivers now yeah it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when you're surrounded by great weapons you're going to be good and then when your game is raised then you make your weapons better so then there's this positive feedback loop that happens when you have good players surrounded by good players that's how the sum of the whole becomes more than the total of the parts and that's what we're seeing in minnesota stefan diggs also had a tremendous preseason if we pay attention to preseason what was going on we saw him on the outside but we also saw him on the outside scoring multiple touchdowns so he's making big play after big play in preseason preseason matters it's still football he's showing that he's healthy that he's explosive that he's comfortable and that he can thrive in that role on the outside so the signals were all there you said the same thing that Sean Siegel from Rotoviz said on this show a couple weeks ago, which is if there's one guy I'm getting in every draft, it's Stefan Diggs. Sometimes I go up two rounds to get him based on his ADP, and I just don't care. I'm getting Stefan Diggs. And then if you're getting Stefan Diggs, well, then the next step, the next logical leap is well, then why not Adam Thielen? Because technically, Adam Thielen played better than Diggs last year. And just like we see in Denver, it's really a two wide receiver system where all of the targets are being funneled out to those dueling high volume wide receivers. And with Thielen going many rounds later than Diggs, it made a lot of sense to stack Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. In fact, that was the wide receiver stack we talked about a lot all summer. Diggs, Thielen, Thielen, Diggs. Where's Thielen in this? Because Thielen's now approaching top 12 wide receiver. A couple years ago, with a bad quarterback, Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker were both top 12 wide receivers in PPR leagues. So we could see that here. These binary wide receiver systems can support two high-end wide receivers. Is that happening or is that what we're seeing in Minnesota? You read my mind on that one. <clears throat> I was going to bring up the, that Denver off- offense. I'm always really intrigued by by concentrated passing offenses where we know where those targets are going to go. Uh, in, in Minnesota, it's not quite that because we do have to take into account Kyle Rudolph. But if we, we look at... Uh, how this offense is going to work if we look at what we saw on Sunday last year from Diggs we saw uh, quite a lot of splash plays we saw the same thing from Thielen too but we look at Diggs two touchdowns on Sunday they both came in the red zone that's really encouraging because we know he can get it done on the big plays now he's looks like he could be a really good red zone receiver Thielen with Thielen in the slot 
that might take away from those red zone targets that Diggs and Rudolph are going to get. It might be hard for Thielen to have a big red zone target share, but he's going to get those safer targets in the slot. Uh, that's going to raise his floor. So we've seen him put up the big plays. So we're, we're going to get that big ceiling from Thielen with the, the safer slot targets. Diggs, I think we've already maintained, he's going to be fine no matter where they put him, no matter what the situation is. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about both of these guys, and I don't know if Thielen's going to approach that top 12, but we've seen two top 24 wide receivers is not hard to do in the NFL. We've seen it a ton of times. I think this is one of those offenses. I mean, go back to the Broncos, Demarius Thomas and uh, Emmanuel Sanders consistently both in the top 24 with the, we, I don't think any of us would call Broncos a, an electric offense or great quarterback play, but we concentrated offenses can support two very good fantasy wide receivers. That's right. Let me read you some teams that the Minnesota Vikings will be facing in the next, say, oh, I don't know, 8 to 10 to 12 to 16 weeks. Pittsburgh Steelers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Detroit Lions, Chicago Bears, Packers, Ravens, Browns, Washington, Rams, Lions, Falcons, Panthers, Bengals, Packers, Bears. That's the schedule. You didn't hear a single scary defense on that list. There are some defenses that look better than expected. The Bears look better than expected against the Atlanta Falcons. That's true. Baltimore looked a lot better than expected against the Bengals. That's true. But no one on there scares you. No one on there is like, oh man, that's a stay away defense. There's no Denver on there. There's no Seattle on there. Now you might argue that the Jacksonville Jaguars are a stay-away defense based on how they looked in week one. You don't see the scary defenses on this list. And here's the other great thing. It's a heavily weighted home schedule early in the season. This was the reason why I drafted Sam Bradford in the FFPC. The FFPC is a high-stakes league, and it's only an 11-game season. And Sam Bradford only plays four games on the road during that span. So he's just got home game after home game, home game after home game, home game after home game in the Dome. And you saw how he looked in those comfortable home conditions in week one. I know it was New Orleans. I I get it. But we played Sam Bradford because, A, it's New Orleans, and we don't overthink it. There's going to be a lot of points scored, and they don't have a great pass defense. Everyone knows this. But there's also the added benefit, the bonus, that maybe he's good. That maybe he's been unlucky. That maybe he's been thrust in situations where he was set up to fail his entire career in the NFL, and for the first time he's been set up to win. Is that possible? Maybe he's never had two wide receivers like Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. I mean, you look at what Minnesota did this week. They only five teams passed more often in neutral situations. That's that's a spot I really like to look at, trying to figure out what an offense is going to do or what they really are. Uh, and when I say neutral situations, I mean the game within a touchdown either way. Um, if we just look at overall rate stats, those can get really out of whack, right? If, if teams are winning, they're going to run more. If they're if they're losing, they're going to pass more. But the Vikings tilted towards a, a pass-heavy game plan. Uh, and the beautiful thing about quarterback is the separation between the top quarterbacks and the 15th or 16th quarterbacks isn't that much. It's a very flat trend line when we're looking at quarterback scoring. So you don't have – your quarterback doesn't have to be the, the a top two or three quarterback. If he can maintain you some really nice, steady weeks, you're going to be able to win a lot of fantasy contests. And all the things you just mentioned with Bradford, uh, 
he's he's the same reason I was I was targeting him in FFPC. You start with the Saints, you get those really easy points in Week One, uh, and and now it's just I don't want to say a cakewalk, but man, he has that receiving core. Dalvin Cook looks like he's going to be able to keep defenses honest. I, I'm I'm right. really excited about this Vikings team. I mean, how, who do you guard at this point? And it's kind of crazy to say because you you don't necessarily think offensive juggernaut, but man, these weapons are are pretty impressive, and I think that's gonna that's gonna raise Bradford a lot. I'm like you. I I drafted him for week one, and now I just get to uh, write it out until um until someone tells me otherwise. I mean, it's. We're, we love streaming these positions, right? But we're drafting with the hopes of not having to stream. Do you think about Carson Palmer two years ago? I, I think that's that could very easily be Bradford this year. And I, I really like the, the Vikings all around. It's house money, baby. It's house money for the rest of the season with Sam Bradford. I love it, man. I'm loving the Sam Bradford because I had expected to drop him after week one. Now I'm just dropping whoever. I'm in a league where I have Sam Bradford and Andrew Luck. Guess who's getting dropped this week? Oh, yeah. Bye, Andrew Luck. We'll see you later. We'll see you next season. Best of luck with the shoulder, Andrew. Seriously, genuinely, I am being authentic. Best of luck with the shoulder. I hope everything goes great this year. I hope you're healthy. All the best to you and your family. But I'll see you later because we got Sam Bradford. We won! It's a week one and we already won, TJ. We've already won. This is exciting. I'm so God, I'm, I'm beyond, I'm speechlessly excited. I didn't ever use that term before, but I'm speechlessly excited. This Sam Bradford thing last night, I was levitating. Good thing there was a ceiling in my house because normally, you know, the floor keeps you grounded. You walk on the floor. The ceiling was the thing that was preventing me from just flying away into outer space. So whoever built my ceiling did a good job. It was very sturdy and it held me down. It held me in place and grounded, but now you can tell that I'm not really grounded. I'm I'm ecstatic. I'm just ecstatic about what's happening here. And every year, there's that team. Every year, a team makes the leap that no one saw coming. Every year. Did anyone see Atlanta coming last year? No one saw Atlanta being the second most efficient and prolific offense in the league. No one guessed that. And they have weapons that were established in Julio Jones. We can go on and on. You went back two years ago to the Cardinals. Every year, there's this prolific offense that no one saw coming for whatever reason. Sam Bradford has been snake bitten. He was drafted by a Jeff Fisher-led Rams organization. So for many years, he didn't know what a contemporary offense looked like in the NFL. Then he went to the Eagles just as the NFL, just as NFL defenses were solving Chip Kelly. So he arrives as defenses are solving for the offensive coordinator's gimmicks. So they're saying, hey, run this gimmick. But unfortunately, all defenses have a solution for the gimmick. So we're going to have you run a solved gimmick this year. How's that one going to go? So he's been overcoming adversity. And then last year, what happens? He arrives three days before the start of the season. He's unaware of the game plan. He has no rapport with his receivers. And he experienced the most egregious offensive line collapse in the NFL last season. The Vikings had more injuries on the offensive line than even the Seattle Seahawks. They were the least effective pass-blocking unit in the league last year. So you thought, oh, this guy's cursed. 
when I envision Sam Bradford backing out of his driveway in the morning, I always envision there's just a black cat. So he's walking under a ladder to get to his car. And then as he's backing out, a black cat goes across. Like That's how I envision Sam Bradford's morning every single morning. And finally, the luck of the world just tilted in his favor, as you said. And the beauty is the Vikings know what they have in Sam Bradford, and they've tilted the game plan. So now we have fortunes tilting towards Sam Bradford. We have game plan and scheme tilting towards Sam Bradford. And he's finally in a stable situation. For the first time in his career, he's in a stable contemporary situation where he has the same offensive coordinator from one year to the next, same supporting cast from one year to the next, and relative health along the offensive line and among his weapons. If his continuation stays stable for this year, I see no reason why he can't be a top 10 quarterback. Again, every year, one of these guys we don't expect jumps into the top 10, sometimes the top five. Three years ago, Andy Dalton jumped into the top five. Why? Because weapons and stability. So weapons and stability can get you in the top five at the quarterback position. I'm excited. Now I want to go to a game with you. I'm excited to play this game. It's called Contrived Dichotomy Waiver Wire Quandaries. It's a stupid name. I just, I need to really hone that name down. It's way too long, but I'm going to modulate my voice so it sounds cool. But it's a terrible name, terrible name. So you're on the waiver wire, right? You're trying to pick up a running back. A lot of great running back options on the waiver wire, so that's also fortunate. A lot of us zero RB guys, I went thin on running back. A lot of people were really making fun of my running back depth after my drafts. Oh, oh, like your team, Mansion, but uh, yeah, you know, very thin at running back. I don't like those running backs. You don't have enough good running backs. Lacking running back depth, that's all I heard from the fantasy zombies evaluating my drafts. And, And then what happens? Well, so after week one, I have my choice of a whole bunch of interesting running backs to pick up and bolster my roster. That's funny how that works every fucking season, everybody. <laughs> so now, choice for you, TJ Hernandez, Kerwin Williams, or Tariq Cohen. Matt, before I get there, can I say that if I'm in a, a casual league, not, not an industry league, and people aren't making fun of my draft, that's when I get nervous? I just always have a team of people that are looking at me like I'm a nut job. I, I should if Thank I want to win. Right? <laughs> uh, how am I going to win without any running back depth? How? How, TJ? How am I going to win if if 11 bad drafters aren't making fun of me? How can I win if I waited until the last round at quarterback and was stuck with Sam Bradford? <laughs> Who can win with that roster? Gross. When I am... Uh... Week one, I think week two is the hardest week to to manage your waiver wire, uh, especially if you're dealing with the fob because uh, you're trying to project 15 games. And week one is when people, I, I, I think, make the uh, the least informed decisions. We've been waiting all year to see uh, NFL games, and then we see these big plays, we see these big touchdowns, and and people end up spending all of their fob on the guy that scored three touchdowns. Uh, they, 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 they get the, the Kevin Ogletree from years ago, Ogletree from the Cowboys that scored three touchdowns against the Giants, everybody. The Ogletree effect. That's a real term, the Ogletree effect. Uh, people go crazy on that. So as we go through these, um, I'm going to reference a lot of the volume and rate numbers. That's what we should be paying attention to, not the, not the touchdowns. I want to see how much of, of the offense a running back is accounting for. I want to see target share. I want to see how many... Uh, how, what percentage of the backfield touches a running back is getting. I don't care what the fantasy points into that week one. I want to know how they got there. So when I'm looking at Curran Williams or Cohen, Cohen's still going to be fighting with Howard for touches. He saw 43% of, 
of the Bears uh, running back share, 29% of the team's touches. Both of those numbers rank 31st among running backs. He's going to make a lot of plays that are fun to watch, but you're not going to. It's going to be really hard to uh, project him from week to week. Um, it's going to be really volatile, and, and this offense is still pretty bad. Kern Williams is going to step into a situation where even if David Johnson comes back in six or seven weeks, we know that that position is a very high leverage position. So give me the guy that can command eighty percent of his running back touches for six weeks, and I'll figure it out after that. I, I don't want the splash play running back. Uh, I don't care about sexy plays. I'll let other people spin up for those. Judges. Oh yes, he's correct. That was a setup question. We rolled out that game with that question to start as a test. As a test. If you said Tariq Cohen, interview's over. Interview's over, TJ. You say Tariq Cohen there. But you said Kerwin Williams. And no one's saying Kerwin Williams because you look at all the waiver wire articles and all the tweets about who you need to prioritize on your waiver wire. It's always Tariq Cohen on top and Kerwin Williams maybe listed, maybe not. Why? Because counting stats from week one. Well, we don't look at necessarily counting stats from week one. Opportunity share, game flow matters. The Bears played the Falcons. They were trailing the entire game and thus skewed pass. 75% to 25% pass to run ratio. Because of course, because you're playing the Falcons, you need to score points to win and they couldn't do it. That's why a player like Tariq Cohen is on the field. When they're playing a different team where they have, when they're playing a lesser offense because the Falcons were the second most prolific and efficient offense in the league last year against the lesser offenses in the league. It's going to be more Jordan Howard. I don't love Jordan Howard. I'm not a Jordan Howard person. I wasn't drafting Jordan Howard in the first round. You think I'm on drugs? Well, I am sometimes, but not all the time. Not when I'm drafting. Well, I am sometimes, but listen, I just don't like Jordan Howard. Okay. You know that. There's plenty of evidence out there in on Twitter, on YouTube, that I'm not a Jordan Howard guy. But I'm still picking up Kerwin Williams every time. Agree with TJ Hernandez 100%. And the beauty is, Tariq Cohen's going to go for 400 out of $1,000 in fab money, where you can spend $100 and get Kerwin Williams oftentimes because he's below Tariq Cohen on that little list of running back priorities that all the fantasy writers spit out two seconds after the games are over without actually thinking about it or looking at the numbers that actually matter. That all said, should Jordan Howard owners be worried? Absolutely. I mean, you go back to what you were talking about with the the Bears being in a a game script where they had to throw a lot. I'm I'm just going back to, to the Cohen point real quick. If we look at the uh, game neutral stats that I was talking about when the game was within a touchdown either way, Chicago ranked 21st in passing rate. So yeah, they're still going to slant towards the run. But, but I also mentioned that Cohen accounted for 43% of the running back share. Now, that's not great for for Cohen as, as a player to pick up, but that means that there's only 57% of the backfield left to give to Howard. You were drafting Howard in, in the second round. You That means you're expecting him to be a workhorse. He's not going to be a workhorse anymore. Um, This is why I hate running backs. This is why I didn't draft a running back in the first five rounds unless I got Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson. It just doesn't make sense. Um, But but we're past that. Uh, We we can't keep musing on the draft. We're we're here. Um, You have to account for the fact if you drafted Jordan Howard that you don't have the guy you drafted. You just don't. Week one told us all we needed to know. Uh, So... 
you need to be picking up the Kerwin Williams, uh, the guys we'll get later to, the Buck Allens of the world, if you are a Jordan Howard owner. Don't pick up Cohen if you're a Jordan Howard owner. Um, oh, yeah, that makes no sense, right? That That's the move that makes no sense. I think J.J. Zacharyson already beat the, beat us to the punch on this one uh, uh, in terms of handcuffing and upside and, and how you should be uh, managing your waiver wire, but it, it completely makes sense. If you're a Howard owner, Cohen should be the last running back on your priority list because that just caps the upside of your team. What right. are you going to do? You're not going to start them together. Um, and it's still, it's a bad offense. Like you're, you're leveraging so much equity in a single team position. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really worried about Howard. It's a reason I, I, I didn't expect this to be this even. Um, but it's just the reason I don't draft running backs outside the, the top one or two there. You don't know what's going to happen in offense. This, this position is so replaceable. It's right. why it's so easy to find running backs on the waiver wire. Right. It's why I've, it's why I've won leagues and championship in the past few years with, with uh, Tim Hightower starting in my championship game with Toby Gerhardt in week 16 for the Jaguars. Right, and Bilal Powell every time. Always Bilal Powell at the end of the season. Jordan Howard's a fake bell cow. Last mm-hmm. year, the fig bell cow was Lamar Miller. Why? Not active enough in the passing game and not on an offense that's going to get you in the red zone enough to be considered a true NFL bell cow, especially for fantasy purposes. The fake bell cow this year is absolutely Jordan Howard. And that's his range of outcomes. It's really 2016 Lamar Miller, I think, is worst case scenario for Jordan Howard. Best case scenario for Jordan Howard, he's Deuce McAllister. That's his ceiling is Deuce McAllister, but the problem is he can't be Deuce McAllister because Deuce McAllister was operating in a New Orleans offense, and the Darren Sproles role is now Tariq Cohen's role. And on playerprofiler.com, the only player in the playerprofiler.com database comparable to Darren Sproles is Tariq Cohen. They look shockingly similar. They are doppelgangers of one another. I would not be surprised if Tariq Cohen goes on and has a Darren Sproles level season. But the problem is it's a season in the context of the Bears offense. Darren Sproles maxed out in the NFL on the Saints, just like Deuce McAllister on a prolific offense. You put this backfield on a prolific offense, we're a lot more excited about Cohen and Howard. We're not excited about them when the quarterback is either Mike Glennon or Mitchell Trubisky. You just can't be excited about that. Are you excited about either Chris Carson or Javorius Allen? I'm not excited about Chris Carson because he's still going to have to battle with three other running backs. Thomas Rawls wasn't active, but he's going to be active. And I I think all four running backs in that offense process, uh, Lacey and Rawls, are still going to have a role. Uh, Buck Allen, he's going to be in a timeshare with West, but But. it looks like Danny Woodhead's going to be out. They've set an extended period of time. They carted him off, TJ. When you're carted off with a soft tissue injury, that's a concern. And this is, what, three out of four years now with Danny Woodhead? I mean, he's probably one of my top three or four player favorite players of the last decade. But uh, if you can't stay on the field, then it's just not going to uh, – you're not going to be a factor. So – I'd be surprised if he if he makes it back this year. I mean, if he's out for half the season and then Allen and, and Buck, uh, if Buck Allen and Terrence West uh, maintain their role in this offense, look like they did on Sunday, then I I don't know where Woodhead fits into uh, this team. We look at what 
we have to read between the lines sometimes and not project from what we've seen in the past. And everybody was kind of myself being one of them projecting Woodhead uh, as a guy that's going to fit into this offense that, that was very pass heavy the last couple of years that, that really favored their running backs in the passing game. But uh, then they, they bring in Greg Roman, not as offensive coordinator, but as a consultant. And we look at historically what Roman's teams are, they slant towards towards the run and last year again going back to those neutral situations baltimore ranked uh third in pass rate neutral situations on sunday 15th uh that's a huge difference and that was with buck allen and west and we don't always love timeshares but it's not a bad thing either um there there are a lot of backfields where they can support two running backs and uh, i think buck allen and west can be that that one-two punch in an offense that's going to be way more run heavy than we've seen the last couple years it's exciting man to see Javorius Allen go out and log over 20 carries. The beauty is, it's a disguised performance. I love the disguised performance heading into the waiver wire period the following week. He led all Baltimore running backs in opportunity share, and the team never had more than a 20-point lead. So the Bengals were in it until five minutes to go. It looked like a blowout, but technically the game was competitive for the majority of the contest. So you know they're splitting carries, but the beauty is Javorius Allen did not get the running back touches in the passing game. For whatever reason, I think just random chance, they didn't happen to throw it to the running back in the second half. They threw it to Danny Woodhead three times in the first quarter. So they will still be targeting the running back in the passing game heavily. That means the touches are going to skew to Javorius Allen. Javorius Allen is going to lead this backfield in fantasy points. He will score more fantasy points this season than Terrence West. Because when Danny Woodhead comes back, he's going to have to carve out a role around a very successful Javorius Allen. Because Javorius Allen is great in all phases. He's big, 220 pounds, fast, athletic, and he's a great pass catcher out of the backfield. He has double-digit reception games on his NFL resume. It's a brief resume, but two years ago, he was the number one running back in one week in fantasy football with 37.1 points. Why? 12 receptions coming out of the backfield. That's who Javorius Allen is. He's a target magnet, and he will be for the remainder of the season for this reason. I'm comfortably dropping Danny Woodhead on all teams. I own him a lot, and I'm pouring one out as I'm doing it. I know he's not out for the season, but I don't like where this is headed with Danny Woodhead, where one injury begets another injury. He's compensating from a torn ACL. Now he's tweaking a hamstring. Who knows what's next? Is it a calf injury next? Is it a hip injury next? We don't know. I'm worried about Danny Woodhead. And I'm incredibly excited about Javorius Allen and his upside in that offense. Certainly more upside than Terrence West. But I think overall, if I'm just doing a conservative projection for the remainder of the season, and I have to decide which running back is going to absorb the majority of the running back target share in Baltimore, it's Javorius Allen. Of all the running backs available this week, I believe it's either Javorius Allen or Kerwin Williams. Kerwin Williams is the guy only because you know for the next, say, four weeks, he's going to be the primary back. And if you're the primary back, that trumps all. But outside of Kerwin Williams, the next guy to target is Javorius Allen. But the other fantasy analysts will not tell you this. They will talk about Tariq Cohen, just like shouting into a megaphone the name Tariq Cohen for the next three or four days. That's all you're going to hear in fantasy football. But we're here to tell you that he's not one of the two running backs you should be targeting first and foremost. At the wide receiver position, the blaring noise from the fantasy football 
conversation sphere will revolve around Alan Hearns and Nelson Aguilar among the veteran wide receivers. Which of those two are you most interested in? Sorry if it took me to, uh, a minute to answer. I, uh, I was projectile vomiting away from my microphone. Um, <laughs> had a little snot there. That was great, man. You just caught me off guard. Nelson Aguilar is moving into well, moved into uh, a position that's been really valuable on this um, Eagles offense. That that slot position, just the the middle interior receivers on the Eagles have have been really uh, effective over the last couple of years. We know Jordan Matthews was really effective in that slot, and they love targeting Zach Ertz. Nelson Aguilar saw twenty one percent of the team's targets, which is pretty much uh, on par with with where Jordan Matthews was in this offense last year. And then we move over to Jacksonville. The only reason we liked their wide receiver one is because it was Allen Robinson, because he can dominate in the red zone. The, the, a high target share in the Jacksonville offense doesn't mean much. Even last year when they were uh, a little more pass heavy and you had Allen Robinson who you could just throw it up to. Now you have uh, the worst quarterback in the league in a run heavy offense we expected this to happen. They they brought in uh, they they kept Doug Marone last year and then uh, brought in uh, Tom Coughlin and then they draft Leonard Fournette. So we know that they're going to slant towards the run and then they come out on Sunday and have the highest run rate in the league in game neutral situations and give uh, Fournette twenty nine of the team's touches. Wow! So they're they're going to be run heavy. Coughlin isn't going to let Bortles uh, uh, ruin this team by throwing a lot. He's just going to he's going to hide him. And Alan Hearns is Alan Hearns. Like I said, the only reason we like the wide receiver one in Jacksonville is because it was Alan Robinson. Right. It might be Marquise Lee, not Alan Hearns, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the situation sets the wide receiver core up to fail in Jacksonville, where you have the worst quarterback and you have a run heavy philosophy. So how can you bet on either guy, either Alan Hearns or Marquise Lee? If I'm picking, I'm picking Marquise Lee because at least he was efficient last season, by far and away the most efficient wide receiver on the team in his first healthy season in the NFL. So I believe that Marquise Lee, like Javorius Allen, is a well-disguised waiver wire ad who is superior to Alan Hearns, touted by the generic fantasy football analyst community, but that's just not right, and it also doesn't matter because your resources are better spent elsewhere. They're better spent on a guy like Nelson Aguilar, who's in a role that will command volume, like it or not. Now, there are a couple wide receivers on some waiver wires that we can get excited about. Kenny Galladay, for sure, and maybe Cooper Cup, I, I, I guess. I, I'm... I'm saying this name, and I'm I'm not upset about it anymore. I've come to a reckoning with Cooper Cup. There are players in the league that I have never liked, and I've happily drafted because I'm clinical about my drafting. I'm not out here trying to draft based on feelings. You don't win with feelings. So I'll never like Cooper Cup wearing his Spider-Man pajamas underneath his uniform. But I do like what he did last week, right? I mean, who you got, Cooper Cup or Kenny Galladay? the Rams were probably in the best situation they're going to be in all year in week one playing against the Colts without Andrew Luck and without Vontae Davis, who might've been more important than Andrew Luck. Uh, the fact that he was out, Kenny Galladay saw seven targets in one of the most pass heavy offenses in the league with on a, on a team that is, uh, going to produce a lot of touchdowns through the air and they're going to have one guy that's going to score 
a lot of touchdowns. They're going to have that touchdown score, right? Last year was Anquan Bolden. It might be Kenny Galladay this year. And, and Cooper Cup is still going to be catching passes from Jared Goff on an offense that I don't think is going to be very exciting uh, from a quarterback that is going to be playing behind a questionable offensive line. Uh, the, the argument for Cup is going to be that it's just him and Sammy Watkins. And yeah, Galladay is going to be competing for with more wide receivers and, and tight ends and pass catchers for targets. But I'd rather have that very pass-heavy electric offense. I like Stafford more than most people do. Um, and I really like Stafford with Jim Bob Cooter. I think Kenny Galladay can be that guy that just gets gets the touchdowns for the Lions this year. Um, I just like this offense, period. And not, I think it's pretty clearly Galladay over Cup. Nothing not to like. The problem with Cooper Cup is he's also competing with Robert Woods. And he's mm-hmm. in the slot. So he's competing with Robert Woods for those short and intermediate routes. And he and Woods had equivalent targets. But look at the Lions. Kenny Galladay more than tripled Marvin Jones' targets. So Kenny Galladay operated as the number two wide receiver, not on a per snap basis, but on a per target basis. There's a lot more volume and fantasy points to go around in Detroit. So I agree with you. Also, Kenny Galladay has this other thing going for him in that he's just a much better receiver. He's just better in every way than Cooper Cup. By every objective measure we have on playerprofiler.com, you pick one. You want to pick breakout age. You want to pick college dominator. You want to pick athleticism. You want to pick size. doesn't matter what you go by. Kenny Galladay is far superior. And if you're prioritizing Cooper Cup over Kenny Galladay this week, you're doing it wrong. If you're putting Todd Gurley on the trade block, are you also doing it wrong? I think the only thing to do with Todd Gurley is try to trade him after week one. Um, Like I said, they were playing a a Colts team that is going to compete with the Jets for the worst record in the league because I don't think Andrew Luck's going to play this year. Whoa, you don't think he's going to play at all? If they go 0-4-0-5... What's the point? Why bring him back? Maybe he'll play one game if... It would only be to save the coach's job. So you're talking about an owner intervention. We would need an owner intervention, and I think we will see it. I think the owner, as misguided as he often is, and certainly one of the league's less impressive owners, I still think even he, Jim Irsay, will intervene and ensure that Andrew Luck does not play this year. You're right. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I know we're going off on a tangent here, but even if he does play, they, they put him on pup to leave him available to play. But say he comes back for one game and loses, they're going to say, oh, yeah, it's just not ready. He was hurt. But hang it up. Get that number one draft pick. They probably don't even need it. They can just leverage it into more uh, more picks or more players. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised. I'd set the over under at one. Uh, but getting back to, to the original question, Todd Gurley was in the best spot he's going to be in all year. Uh, that was the perfect game script. And what did he gain? 50 yards or something like that on the ground? I don't have the number in front of me. Uh, but it wasn't good. And this offensive line, I, I thought Todd Gurley could, with with the with the new offense with Sean McVay there. Uh, I was kind of excited about him. I wasn't drafting him, but man, that offensive line is bad, and it's they're just not going to be in a better spot than they were. And let, yeah, he's going to catch a couple of passes, but I just don't know if there are going to be a lot of touchdowns to score in this offense. And if you can't get it done against the Colts, like he was fine because he scored, but if you can't get it done against the Colts in terms of uh, gaining yardage on the ground, I just don't know where it happens this year at. I think that was the best spot he'll be in all year. So his his stock's not going to be higher is what I'm saying. It's a tricky spot. 
It's a very tricky spot because we're very encouraged by the receptions. We're very encouraged by the activity in the passing game, which will only go up as the game script tilts negative. So he could be one of the NFL leaders at the running back position in receptions. It's very possible. But if you can't run between the tackles at all, what are you doing out there? You can't be a top 10 fantasy running back. You need to chase those top 10 fantasy running backs. And we know now that the offensive line's no good. We were hoping it was better. A better system, a better offensive line could have unlocked Todd Gurley. That was the thesis. But we know now that's not going to happen. See if Todd Gurley's inherent brand equity combined with a productive week one is enough to allow you to trade him at peak value right now. Right now. Do not wait. Go trade Todd Gurley right now. Yeah, don't uh, don't offend anyone in your league, but put out feelers for David Johnson. There's a lot of people that aren't going to want to wait for six or seven weeks, four or five weeks, whatever it might be. Maybe don't do it this week. Maybe wait until you find a team that has David Johnson that starts 0-2 or 0-3. Package Gurley with someone. Someone's going to trade David Johnson. So just put out feelers. I, I think it's worth it. The problem with owning Todd Gurley is you have to start him. <laughs> yeah. If you trade for David Johnson, you don't have to start him. So it solves a bunch of problems. But you could decide to wait and trade Todd Gurley in a couple weeks because he gets Washington and he gets the 49ers. And then it becomes incredibly challenging for Todd Gurley's schedule. Seahawks, Jaguars, Cardinals, bye week. That's a lost month. Todd Gurley is going to experience a lost month in October. So get him off your roster by the end of week three. Those are your instructions from TJ Hernandez and Matt Kelly. And we talked about playing the waiver wire. And if you're playing the trade acquisition game, you want to find those players with the under-the-radar encouraging performances from Sunday. We talked about that with Javorius Allen. We talked about that with Marquise Lee flying under the radar, no one noticing, oh, wait, this guy is going to be the most productive back in this offense. Oh, wait, this is going to be the number one wide receiver on this team. We had some players log double-digit targets without really doing much last week. So of the under-the-radar double-digit target game-wide receivers, Larry Fitzgerald, Golden Tate, Terrell Pryor, maybe somebody else, who are you most encouraged by? Who are you trying to trade for most vigorously? Yeah, I don't know if uh, if Fitz and Tate's double-digit target games were necessarily under the radar, just because Fitz definitely has that name value, right? People are people know who Fitz is, what they're going to get with Fitz, and uh, again, we already talked about we know Detroit's that. Well, there there's a perception there that that offense is not what it was sold to be in Arizona. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, with 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 DJ out, Fitz is going to absorb maybe even more targets, and I think we're going to get to to Palmer uh, in a little bit. I, but I don't. I don't think it's as bad as, as it might have looked in week one, but uh, I think the the under-the-radar one was definitely Terrell Pryor. Uh, right. he, he only caught six of the balls for 66 yards without a score, but that offense is one that's going to run through the passing game. Uh, I, I really like Kirk Cousins as a real quarterback and a fantasy quarterback in the one spot that he struggled in last year, and he did struggle this, this week, but uh, is the red zone. Still finished the top five quarterback without very efficient uh, quarterback play in the red zone. And a lot of that was because Pierre Garcon, Jamison Crowder, Deshaun Jackson are not good red zone receivers. Terrell Pryor is. He converted over 30% of his uh, red zone targets into scores in his first year as a full-time wide receiver. So I think Terrell Pryor is the one that uh, 
flew under the radar and I think we can benefit the most from. Uh, you asked if there's anyone else. It's it's not a wide receiver, but there is a player that had double-digit targets last week, and that's Shane Vereen. And if you're in a PPR league yes. and you are looking for cheap points, this is – they don't have the players, but this offensive setup is green by 2.0 with Ben McAdoo there. They're going to – it's going to go through the passing game. They're not – they don't care about running the ball. They don't have a run game, period. They don't have a running game, and people like to have good players on their team in fantasy football. But if you're in a PPR league, you're running back two position. You can win a lot of games with a floor player at your running back two, and Vereen's going to be that guy. If he's catching four or five balls a week, I'm fine starting him if I need to. So he's he's someone that I'm really looking to obtain in a lot of leagues. I mean, yes, Odell wasn't there, but they're going to just throw to their running backs. That's the only volume that's going to come from this this run, uh, backfield. So that one really raised my eyebrows. And he's not going to get 10 every game, but five through seven, I think that's... I think that's doable. Yeah, top five in the league in running back targets. We talked about Shane Vereen being the best value late round zero RB back, particularly in PPR leagues, because we know he's good at football. The Giants want him on the field. They trust him. And he's their best asset in game situations that the team finds itself in 60, 65% of the time where they want to pass the football. And that means Vereen is going to be in the game with Terrell Pryor. It was a very ambiguous wide receiver core where we were not sure how the targets would be distributed. The reason why Terrell Pryor was not higher in our rankings is because there was significant uncertainty around how he would be used, where he slotted in on the target totem pole. We just weren't sure. He's played wide receiver for less than two years at this point. We weren't sure. Now we know. Now he's logging 11 targets and the next highest guy is Jordan Reed at tight end with eight. He's going to be a target monster. We now have that information. That's incredibly important information, but he flew nicely under the radar with six catches for 66 yards. No splash plays, no touchdowns. No splash plays, no touchdowns. No splash plays, no touchdowns. But the most encouraging thing by far, the information we needed, we craved about this offense, we now have. It's in our hands. We saw the 11 targets. It's on for Terrell Pryor. Trade for Terrell Pryor now. Talked about that Giants game. Interesting stat line in that Giants game for Roger Lewis. Roger Lewis has been a more efficient wide receiver thus far in his NFL career than Sterling Shepard. Are you surprised by this? I'm surprised, but I don't know how much I necessarily care. Uh, just because without Odell, Eli Manning looked like... I, I don't think any of us have liked him for a while now, but man, without Odell, that offense is an abomination. But I mean, when Odell comes back, he's going to obviously dominate targets. I think the biggest story Big is how ineffective Brandon Marshall is. I mean, they weren't even looking to him. He couldn't, he couldn't get off coverage. It was bad. So the, I, I think the problem with Lewis is that pr probably he's still going to end up trailing Sterling Shepard in, in snaps. So if, if you're not on the field, I don't know, it, it's going to be hard to be effective. So I, th I think we're still going to see o o Odell and Brandon Marshall obviously going to uh, get those outside uh, outside snaps. So can he overtake Sterling Shepard in snaps is going to be the thing to watch. 
It is a thing to watch. The Sterling Shepard, Roger Lewis snap share in redraft. Pay close mm-hmm. attention to that. In Dynasty, yeah. just get Roger Lewis. Yeah, I agree. Roger Lewis, to me, was the under-the-radar Dynasty ad from week one because you saw him competing with a washed Brandon Marshall, an injured Odell Beckham Jr. that didn't play, and a Sterling Shepard with a 6.3 yards per reception, right? Sterling Shepard received eight targets and turned it into 44 yards. That's grossly inefficient, and that's what he was last year. He was doing that last year, just happened to get the seven touchdowns to bolster his fantasy points per target. But he's not efficient. And Roger Lewis has been efficient when called upon six targets, four catches, 54 yards. But this has been what Roger Lewis has been doing. And you can go all the way back to his time at Bowling Green, where he was a prolific outside wide receiver. And he can play all positions. So he can play on the outside. He can play on the inside. I like Roger Lewis. I like his versatility. I like that in a vacuum, I think he's simply more talented than Sterling Shepard. He's healthier than Odell Beckham Jr. And he has more juice in the tank than Brandon Marshall. So for that reason, you acquire Roger Lewis in Dynasty. We're always looking for that guy that was an undrafted free agent that could start to produce in Dynasty. The guy you can get free on the waiver wire. It's very rare because Dynasty leagues are so deep. But this is a guy that's available in a lot of Dynasty leagues. You need to get Roger Lewis. A guy that's certainly not available in Dynasty is Corey Davis. He looked like the real deal. We had Corey Davis as our number one player to draft in Dynasty rookie drafts. And he delivered 10 targets with no preseason work. 10 targets without playing in the preseason. Rewind. 10 targets without playing in the preseason. How the hell is that possible, TJ? I, I think the reason we saw that was a, a game plan designed to attack exactly where the Raiders are weak at. Uh, the Raiders were one of the worst teams against the deep ball last year. They gave up the most touchdowns through the air outside of the red zone, and I think that the the Titans uh, wanted to come in and attack that. And then on top of that, we saw Jared Goff, and that just uh, it, it, it didn't come to fruition in terms of uh, big plays. I mean, Corey Davis did look really good, and I was really surprised by the 10 targets. I don't know if I'm necessarily uh, translating that into um, consistent fantasy production because, like I said, I think that was just kind of part of the way they wanted to attack the Raiders' offense. I do think that Tennessee is going to be throwing a lot more, but the problem is he has uh, he has some guys that he has to compete with that are uh, are good. Eric Decker's a fantastic touchdown scorer. Rashard Matthews is still a good deep threat. And, of course, Delaney Walker is going to maintain a lot of that target share. Uh, So I think Corey Davis is going to be a guy they want to use deep a lot. And I think there are games that he can see 10 targets. I just don't know if he's going to be able to uh, keep that 10 target pace up in this offense. I I think he'll have a lot of big games that might be hard to predict. He only played 66% of the team's snaps. So he's still behind Decker and Matthews and Walker, at least in terms of snaps for now. So again, it's it's going to be one that I think we should pay close attention to. And he's the one double-digit target guy that I probably have a little pause about. So let me get this straight. Eric Decker's not washed. Eric Decker's still good. You'd rather have Eric Decker this season in redraft than Corey Davis? Eric Decker had eight targets. Only Amari Cooper had more red zone targets. So if Eric, if Eric Decker converts one of those red zone target you saw red zone target on back-to-back plays from the two-yard line that's eric decker's bread and butter there it is if he catches one of those balls we're we're just we have a different narrative today i mean eric decker's a guy he's gonna catch we we know what he's gonna do he's gonna see 
eight to 10 targets. He's usually going to be pretty efficient with those targets and he's going to score a touchdown a game, or he's going to give you 80 yards on six catches. Like that's what Eric Decker does. He didn't convert one of his three red zone looks into scores, but he's still going to see massive red zone volume from arguably the best red zone quarterback in the league. He's arguably the best red zone receiver of the past 10 years. So yeah, I mean the, We've been talking about the whole show, right? Like, get rid of, take those counting numbers out of here. I don't care about fantasy points after week one. Like, what are the offensive offenses doing? How are they using their players? And they used Eric Decker exactly as expected. Right. And yes. he's going to, exactly as expected. As expected. And he's going and I mean, Raiders came in and give it up to their defense. They played way better than anyone expected. Went to Tennessee and, and played fantastic. Yeah, because in the preseason, they showed nothing. Nothing, at least on the defensive side of the ball. We right. know that offense is going to be great. Of course. Um, but yeah, Eric Decker is exactly what I want him to be. So he's going to have those one-two touchdown games. Tennessee's going to have plenty of red zone opportunities this year. Uh, so I'm not worried about Decker at all. Right, and we also saw some wide receivers we know are good touchdown scorers that just didn't score touchdowns last year or the last two years. So we talked about this in week one. DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, and Amari Cooper all scored touchdowns. Amari Cooper has Amari Cooper scored 10 touchdowns per season in college. So were these positive touchdown reversions in week one just a nice reminder that we should continue to draft the primary options and not worry about last year's touchdown total so much? Yeah, that's, I mean, I spend most of my offseason looking at, at stuff like this. People love to say touchdowns are unpredictable. Uh, I already mentioned Diggs at the top of the show. We, we know he can score from deep, and then he, he scores two touchdowns from the red zone. Uh, so I think I think the picture's pretty clear on that one. Amari Cooper last year, there's this there was this narrative that he doesn't get any red zone work, and it was low relative to receivers of his caliber. And and we all know Crabtree was dominating red zone uh, looks for the Raiders last year. But even last year, if Cooper scored even at a league average scoring rate from in the in the red zone, he would have scored four red zone touchdowns. And uh, that obviously would have, like I talked about Decker in week one, that would have changed the narrative a lot. Right. And then we come into week one and there's this offseason talk about Cooper uh, bulking up and, and they're really going to make sure that they, they get him some looks in the red zone, just a bigger, stronger receiver. And then he leads the league in red zone targets in week one for what's probably going to be one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. Hopkins in terms of touchdowns, I'm a little worried about because it is this Texans offense who's how many touchdowns are going to be scored in this offense. But he saw 16 targets. That's all that matters. He's not going to he's not going to keep 44 percent of the team's targets, but he can keep 30 percent. And if I get a receiver that's going to get 30 percent of the red zone looks and 30 percent of the looks overall, even if the team's bad. Uh, we've seen rookie quarterbacks before just t- zero in on that number one receiver. And I don't think Hopkins is in that Stefan Diggs, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, uh, Julio Jones category. And you notice how I put Stefan Diggs first. Uh, but I think he's in the second tier after that. And right. 30% target share is as explosive as those guys. Right. Uh, so yeah, he probably won't score 10 touchdowns in this offense, but five or six with 30% of the, of the target share eight, if he's lucky, like, yeah, he's fine. Eight touchdowns is a good estimate because last year his red zone target share was only 14%, 72nd in the league. That's what's going to correct. Of course, the Texans will be targeting DeAndre Hopkins in the red zone much more frequently this year. That's why last year was just an outlier. They didn't target him in the red zone for whatever reason as much as they should have, and they're going to correct that. 
Clearly. It's not hard. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. You chase the guys getting the huge target share, and some of those are going to be red zone looks, and some of those are going to be touchdowns, and that's DeAndre Hopkins. With Amari Cooper, it's very exciting because he dropped a couple touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So he should have had a two-touchdown game. Ooh, wow. If he's getting four red zone targets per game, I mean, wow, look out. But they were. They were just honing in on Amari Cooper in that game. Incredibly encouraging. Were you encouraged by what you saw with Dak Prescott? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go back to that Cooper thing real quick. And he didn't score on any of the plays. But when was the last time you saw a team from the two-yard line throw to the same receiver three plays in a row? Three plays like, in a row. Now, I consider only two of them drops, but he mm-hmm. also could have converted the third one. Sure. I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. He might score 15 touchdowns this year. It's not. He did it in college. Mm-hmm. He can do it in the pros. Uh, I mean, yeah, Dak Prescott's fine. He's he's a quarterback that I, I just haven't been excited about, and I'm still... You're not excited. I can look, see the look on your face. You're just not that excited about him. I'm still a little lukewarm on him. Like yeah. like I said, they were, they, were, they were playing against the Giants who gave them like maybe the best possible game script they could have asked for, and he's going to get you a few rushing yards. Um, they're going to be facing a lot of tough secondaries this year, and, and when you could take Dez out of the game, it, it's going to make things a little tough for his fantasy outlook. Uh, I think he's probably at this point better as a real quarterback at least in terms of what the Cowboys are trying to do than a fantasy quarterback they the it's the same thing we talk about all draft season the separation between the quarterback 6 and the quarterback 16 in fantasy is so tight uh I, I don't think he's going to put up any of those Aaron Rodgers Drew Brees type numbers uh so he's just gonna, he's fine um I'm just this offense is still going to be run heavy go through Zeke and those many weeks that they're going to have where teams are taking Dez out of the game as much as I like Dez they just have a tough schedule against secondaries this year uh he's 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 going to be mediocre yeah it's 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 a brutal 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 schedule doesn't get any easier this week Broncos then the next week Cardinals then the next week Rams Packers it gets easier later in the season so you can trade for Des Bryant in a couple weeks. I'm trading for Des Bryant now because I can't help it. I need to get Des Bryant. I love the touchdown scorers. It's between Eric Decker and Des Bryant, who's the best red zone receiver the last decade. I want that guy. Des Bryant couldn't get a toe down. Otherwise, he had a touchdown in the last hmm. game. Just needs to get that toe in. But you saw he made an incredibly athletic and acrobatic play on the ball in the corner of the end zone, just doing what Dez does, watching him in preseason, watching him last week. He just looks like the old Dez Bryant. I understand that Janoris Jenkins plays him very well and that he got unlucky on a couple plays. And that's all it takes to go from five catches for 60 yards and a touchdown to two catches for 40 yards on nine targets, and on a lackluster game. It's a very small margin between good game, bad game, good game, bad game, good game, bad game. Just very small margin. I'll take Des Bryant all the time. I'm worried the guy that drafted Des Bryant has no interest in selling him after week one, but I'm still going to put a feeler out there. Mm -hmm. I understand he likely will get shut down next week too. I mean, Aqib Tlaib? I mean, Aqib Tlaib is not to be trifled with. He matches up perfectly with Dez. The bigger, more physical cornerbacks are the ones that give Dez Bryant the most problems because he can't necessarily separate like some of the more like some of the more explosive wide receivers in the league, like a Julio Jones. He doesn't necessarily have the route running prowess of an Antonio Brown, so he can't separate against 
some of these bigger, more physical cornerbacks. That's why they give him problems. But he's such a bully out there that he can produce no matter who he's matched up against. And with Dak Prescott, I am impressed. He reminds me of Tom Brady. I know that's a weird comparison, but early Tom Brady wasn't a big fantasy producer, but the guy was just cool. He was just cool under pressure, and he made the right decisions. Really uh, super, um, super, uh, has great awareness for the pass rush and knows when to be a tactical scrambler. You don't see him putting his head down. You don't see him panicking in the pocket ever. There's clearly a level of leadership there that very few young quarterbacks can achieve, and he's already there. So I really think he's on this Tom Brady trajectory, and I love it. I love that we have mobile Tom Brady. I've always wondered what that would look like. What does mobile (laughs) Tom Brady look like? And it looks a lot like that Prescott. The problem is the Cowboys ran the ball more than any other team last year, which led to them passing less than anyone last year. And if you're going to finish number 32 in the league in pass attempts, you're not going to be a prolific fantasy producer. It's just not going to happen for you. It's a thing we've been talking about the whole show. You need to look at the game script. You need to look at what plays teams are calling in neutral situations. And unfortunately for the Cowboys, they have Ezekiel Elliott back and they're calling run plays in those neutral situations. And us Dak Prescott enthusiasts and Des Bryant advocates have to eat it. We just have to eat it. But I have to say this is the one case where I am aware of the schedule. I'm aware of the play calling tendencies, but I think these are such fantastic talents in Dak Prescott and Des Bryant that I want them on my team regardless. Now, Ty Montgomery checks all the boxes we look for. He's a talent and he's in the right situation. You agree? Yeah, the they're the only thing I'm worried about with with him is the how pass heavy the Packers are going to be now. Uh, obviously, he he fits into that because he is a pass catcher himself, and he led the league in Week One in terms of backfield share. He counted for accounted for ninety two percent of their running back touches in Week One. Wow. Uh, but if you look at you put it in context a little bit though, I I don't only only look at backfield touches. You still want to look at relative to the whole team. Uh, accounted for just I say just it was still top ten in the league, but forty seven percent of the team touches. Uh, that's still fine. And in a Packers offense, it's really high powered. Uh, he's he's going to be really really valuable. Um, so th- there there might be some week to week volatility just because the Packers are going to pass so much and there are a lot of mouths to feed. Uh, but again, I, I talked about it with Shane Vereen. Sometimes you just need a floor guy at running back. Right. And I think Ty, Ty Montgomery at worst is a floor guy. He's an elite floor guy. He's a high end floor guy. Absolutely. And all of you Jamal Williams owners. You can feel free to drop. Mm-hmm. Drop away Jamal Williams. He's worthless. Worth zero. He's a handcuff for a team without a great running game and gets a handful of snaps per game. So there's no reason to like Jamal Williams. He's not even good in the passing game. It'd be one thing if Jamal Williams was good in the passing game, then there would be this fringe case you could make for rostering him. Maybe if Ty Montgomery gets hurt. But even if Ty Montgomery gets hurt, what is Jamal Williams? He's between the tackles grinder on a team that doesn't run the ball. Okay, how's that going to work out? That's the problem with drafting handcuffs. You don't know how the opportunity share is going to be divided if this unlikely situation happens, the starter getting hurt. We saw this with Darren McFadden. He was inactive this week. Darren McFadden was inactive. 
He was drafted in round nine in the FFPC draft that I participated in in Las Vegas this past week. And he was inactive. So given that Darren McFadden was fucking inactive, how are handcuffs still a thing? How? How? The Packers ran 82 plays on Sunday. Jamal Williams was in for six of them. (laughs) Aaron Ripkowski was in for 22. Aaron Ripkowski (laughs) is playing three times as much as Jamal Williams. They trust him. The Packers like to play players with experience that they trust who can pass block and not get Aaron Rodgers sacked or hurt. It makes sense. They're not going to play the rookie running back fucking BYU drafted in the fourth round. (laughs) The case for Jamal Williams was one of the more logically flawed arguments in fantasy football over the summer. Now, I want to go back to quarterback because we've talked about a bunch of quarterbacks. You're saying Eli Manning may be washed, but you don't think Carson Palmer's washed. Is that right? I think we're, we saw a lot of quarterback wide receiver combos just often passing offenses in general just kind of like out of sync in week one i think a lot of this has to i think we've seen the last, the last couple years um i don't remember what year it was that that the the cba got rid of this practice time in the offseason really cut it down but nfl offenses are all about rhythm and timing and getting time with each other in the offseason especially these veteran quarterbacks that that are creatures of habit Teams just aren't getting a lot of off-season time to work with each other like they used to. And we saw week one, how ugly was week one? There just weren't a lot of competitive games. We saw a lot of teams out of sync. I think there's still enough in this Arizona offense. I mean, we saw Palmer play pretty well down the stretch. I think Bruce Arians is one of the better play callers in the league that's going to use his team pretty effectively. Uh, John Brown looked pretty good in my opinion. And we know what Larry Fitzgerald is. Uh, I, I think the the Cardinals will correct just because uh, of Fitz, because of John Brown, because of Bruce Arians. DJ out is obviously uh, a huge dent in their plans, but I'm not worried about Palmer like I am about Eli Manning, obviously. Right. Eli Manning is a problem because he's paired with the washed receiver. So when you have the possibly washed quarterback paired with the washed receiver and Brandon Marshall, you're caught in a washed vortex. I guess it's not really a, a vortex. It's a washer machine. I mean, really, if you think about what a vortex is, it goes round and round. Well, that's really what a washer machine does. So I think we can say that Eli Manning and Brandon Marshall are trapped in this washer machine. That's the name of the show. The name of the show will be Brandon Marshall Washer Machine. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll call the show. We won't know for sure, sure, that Eli Manning's washed until we see Odell Beckham Jr. back. That'll be the deciding factor. But I think he probably is washed. Andy Dalton looked bad. Andy Dalton and A.J. Green looked out of sync. This may be what you were talking about. The lack of rapport, the lack of practice time in the offseason could have negatively impacted Andy Dalton. He looked like pre-hair gel Andy Dalton, Mm -hmm. pre-fohawk Andy Dalton. We had dry hair Andy Dalton was bad. (laughs) Then he got the fohawk, he started using hair gel, and he became a top five fantasy quarterback. Last week, he looked terrible. Was that a function of... Andy Dalton and his receivers being out of sync? Is Andy Dalton just a guy? Or the Ravens secondary? Maybe they're just good. I think it's a little bit of all of the above. I mean, Andy Dalton definitely is just a guy, but that doesn't mean I'm I'm giving up on him. Uh, One of his turnovers was a strip sack. Another one was a ball that just got batted up really high in the air. And I think another interception might have been a tip ball. 
Yeah, he has too he, he has too many weapons to give up on him. You don't give up on a guy with those weapons. You just never you don't do that. Yeah, it, I mean it it was bad. I'm I'm not trying to make excuses for Andy Dalton, but uh, over at four for four, we we opened up the season with Baltimore ranked top five in top five fantasy secondaries or fantasy defenses. I'm sorry against uh, quarterbacks, and and it looks really? like it looks yeah. I was really surprised by that, and it looks like that's that's a, a solid ranking. Uh, but damn. I don't think anybody would claim that there's any way this offense is going to be worse than they were last year. They got a healthy Eifert, a healthy AJ Green, and even with those guys out for a combined 14 games last year, Cincinnati ranked in the top 10 of yards per drive, top 10 in drives that reach the red zone. Those are really good numbers to look at in terms of offense, offensive efficiency instead of looking at touchdowns because, of course, touchdowns could be fluky. They really struggled in the red zone last year. With A.J. Green and, and Eifert healthy, their red zone struggles they saw last year will turn around. It just didn't come into fruition in week one. So Andy Dalton is – I don't think I touted a guy more in the offseason besides uh, Diggs. The, I talked about players I had to have on every team. Dalton was one of those other guys. And I, I'm pretty confident they'll turn it around for the simple fact that Green and Eifert are healthy. Right. If you need a tight end, go trade for Tyler Eifert now. Mm-hmm. Now, now. Not not, 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 that, not, not then. Not that now, 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 do it, do it, do it, do it now, do it now, do it now. If you're in a two quarterback league, trade for Andy Dalton right now. And what about DeMarco Murray? Is he washed? That's the question I'm getting on Twitter, man. People want me to ask you, what the fuck is up with DeMarco Murray? He he looked bad. I don't have, have his final stat line in front of me, but I already talked about them going them being the titans going to a more pass heavy attack and we obviously saw that Um, they have so many weapons on the outside and last year when murray was healthy he was dominating steps um he still played the majority played 73 percent but derrick henry saw 28 percent if that gets up 10 percent if we start looking at 60 40 things could get pretty ugly for for murray um again the Raiders played a lot better than I think anyone expected on defense. But a pass-heavy attack all of a sudden with a younger, more spry running back that looks like he's going to start taking at least some of the snaps. Um, Again, we how many times have we talked about it? This is why I ignore running backs after Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. Just don't know what you're getting, man. DeMarco Murray was a second-round pick, and we did not know what we were getting in terms of explosiveness and in terms of opportunity share. Yeah, I, there, you can't trade him. You're not going to be able to trade him. Uh, but you got to ride it out. If you spin on, maybe, maybe if you get if you get a Kerwin Williams on the waiver wire, who are you starting next week? I might start Kerwin Williams. Kerwin Williams. You shouldn't be trading for DeMarco Murray. Do not see this as a by-low window for DeMarco Murray. It is not. Wait and see. We need a game where DeMarco Murray dominates the touches and is a top 10 fantasy running back before we say, okay, this guy's going to be fine. So you talked about DFS plays for this week. Give me your one DFS play this week because we have another show, The Big Tilt. That's our DFS show. Tune in for that with Eric McClung. But I got to ask TJ Hernandez, if I'm having TJ Hernandez on the show, got to ask TJ Hernandez about DFS because he is one of the best in the industry analyzing daily fantasy sports. Who's your play of the week for week two? Just give me your slam dunk. Against Chicago at home, Tampa Bay 
running back to quiz Rogers is $4,400. And he's a guy that I drafted to give me three weeks of running back play. We talked about Darren McFadden going in, in the ninth round. It should have been Jaquiz Rogers. Yes. And his first week of action of the year at home, $4,400 on DraftKings. Jaquiz Rogers is who I'm looking at this week. Yeah, he's your lineup maker. Lock in Jaquiz mm-hmm. Rogers. I'll be starting him in all my redraft leagues because I have Jaquiz Rogers everywhere, including the high-stakes FFPC league we talked about earlier. It's a shame that we're never going to know whether Kevin White is good or not, right? Isn't that a shame? I mean, you, you talked about the lack of swag factor. So you knew years ago because you saw him walk on stage. Talk about anecdotal nonsense right there. Wow. That was really metrics-based analysis for me, breaking down Kevin White, huh? It's it's a bummer. I mean, you hate to see anybody have to go through this. He he might, after this year, he might not ever play another snap in the NFL. It's really a bummer. I mean, it, not to go out on too sad of a note, but man, the, the guy's, what, 24 years old and might be trying to start a new career after being a, a top, top 10 draft pick a couple years ago. Yeah, I don't... I, Kevin White might not play another down in the NFL. It's 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 sad. We're not going out on that, TJ. Absolutely not. All right. How great is Stephon Diggs, though? I only own one jersey, and it's an Eric Decker jersey. If this season goes as I expect, Diggs might be the only other jersey I own. That was a that was misguided last question by me there. That was that's that's on the host. That's on the host. That's 100% my fault. That was a dumb question. When I envision Sam Bradford backing out of his driveway in the morning, I always envision there's just a black cat. So he's walking under a ladder to get to his car, and then as he's backing out, a black cat goes across. Like that's how I envision Sam Bradford's morning every single morning. I just always have a team of people that are looking at me like I'm a nut job. I, I should if I want to win. <laughs> My whole thing is I want to make sure I have someone to drop. <laughs> Sorry if it took me to, uh, a minute to answer. I, uh, I was projectile vomiting away from my microphone. Um, they carted him off, TJ. When you're carted off with a soft tissue injury, that's a concern. This was a mistake that will haunt him, and he doesn't even know it. I always forget it's a buy-in for fifteen hundred bucks, and I'm like, oh, everyone's or seventeen hundred bucks. I'm like, everyone's gonna draft well, and then it starts. You know, like, nobody knows how to play fantasy football. I forgot. And Mike Gillisley lasted till the fifth round, which doesn't make any fucking sense. Anyone that knows anything, I don't even like Gillisley. But you're bird in the hand, dog. Jesus Christ, it's like the it's like those those game shows where they're like, bank, bank. No, don't roll again. No. Oh, come on. So that was weird. And, you know, digs in the fourth round, obviously, is paying off. Time on in the third. But, like, those things were things we talked about all summer. But things that we know, we're like, I was, we're such a small percent of the community, but it seems like we're the biggest percent. I mean, I'm sure you get the same thing. All of once August comes, every person that I've ever been friends with is like texting me and asking me all these questions. Like I bring up someone like Diggs and they're like, are you sure I should draft him? I'm like, yeah, you might want to. And then when I took Bradford over Palmer and Wentz, 
and Tyrod. That raised eyebrows. Oh yeah. And, and I was like, I was like, guys, 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 guys. Trust me on this one. If you don't know anything except the schedule, I took Bradford everywhere for that reason. But why not bank points in week one, and then we can kind of you know go from there. I guess I'll take Bernard. Bro took Connor, James Connor, Jamal Williams, Eddie Lacy, Marlon Mack, Shane Vereen, Paul Perkins, Adrian Peterson, Samaj P. Ryan. I'm going down the list. McFadden, Jamal Charles. I'm going down the list. This is I'm just going backwards from Giovanni Bernard. How hilarious is that? If you think Mixon is gonna have a role. Who's most likely to maintain a role, Bernard or Hill? Well, Bernard's at least versatile, right? Everyone's saying I was wrong about Eric Decker. Didn't he get like nine targets? Are people already down on Decker? Is that a thing? All right, well, I guess I'm trying to trade for Decker in every league. Never mind what I said in the offseason, guys. I was wrong. But I'm going to be right this week. Bye, Andrew Luck! We'll see you later. We'll see you next season. Best of luck with the shoulder, Andrew. We've already won. This is exciting. I'm so scared. I'm beyond. I'm speechlessly excited. I didn't ever use that term before, but I'm speechlessly excited. Good thing there was a ceiling in my house because normally, you know, the floor keeps you grounded. You walk on the floor. The ceiling was the thing that was preventing me from just flying away into outer space. So whoever built my ceiling did a good job. It was very sturdy and it held me down. It held me in place and grounded. But now you can tell that I'm not really grounded. I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic. And I'll be plugging those player profile stats into my uh, four, four columns as much as possible. So I'll never like Cooper Cup wearing his Spider-Man pajamas underneath his uniform. Contrived dichotomy, waiver wire quandaries. It's a stupid name. I just, I need to really hone that name down. It's way too long, but I'm going to modulate my voice so it sounds cool. But it's a terrible name, terrible name. A Colts team that is going to compete with the Jets for the worst record in the league because I don't think Andrew Luck's going to play this year. Whoa, you don't think he's going to play at all? Right now. Right now. Do not wait. Go trade Todd Gurley right now. He might score 15 touchdowns this year. So given that Darren McFadden was fucking inactive, how are handcuffs still a thing? How? How? What the fuck is up with DeMarco Murray? Aaron Ripkowski was in for 22. Aaron Ripkowski is playing three times as much as Jamal Williams. You made it. You made it to the end. One hour and 30 minutes in. The outtakes of the outtakes. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone that has been supporting playerprofiler.com and Roto Underworld Radio this entire year. We've had a very challenging week. Lots of new metrics added to the site. Over 50 new metrics added to the site. Double the size of our game analyst team charting these games, bringing you the best advanced stats and metrics in all of football. But we need your help. We need more analysts watching these games. We just can't get enough people. 
There's so much data that we're collecting, and you all have an insatiable appetite for advanced stats and metrics, and we are here to accommodate you, to deliver. And if you would like to join our game analyst team, please reach out to me, rotounderworld at gmail.com. If you'd like to chart contested catches, if you'd like to chart who's playing in the slot, let me know. Come join the team. Be part of something special.